Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard. And um, welcome back, Big Neil. You uh, were able to dig out of uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. I was able to. I I created Mount Neil, two sides of the driveway, (laughs) six total shovels over the course of about 36 hours. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad. It could have been a lot worse. It was expected to be a lot worse. We got, I think, like 14, 15 inches total. Uh, the good news is, though, it's supposed to snow another three to five tonight. So maybe that was the part that was missing from the, from the first storm. So um, that and with the kid being home two straight days, uh, it, was, it, was, it was active. Not going to lie. Um, <laughs> it feels like forever since I've done this, too. I, I don't feel like I've been on camera for however long, and I probably look like that as well. You but said it was, Mount uh, it was crazy. Neil. Mount that Neil. is hilarious. I like Mount Kulong. Mount Kulong seems a little on the nose. I like Mount to, cool. I Mount like to make it sound dumber. Kulong sounds cool. <laughs> Neil does not. So Mount Neil. Mount Neil. <laughs> that, that's that's <laughs> great. Much, much stupider and more simplified. That's great. That's about as good as uh uh Dan Less. Uh, <laughs> Mount so Neil. Can't believe we never thought of that. <laughs> Dan, Dan less, but less. you know, enough of, of the comedy to start the show. Listeners. We are than... back funnier than ever. You know, you should have heard us singing BK. Have it your way. <laughs> and Mount Neil's. Um, if they, so if they pay us, we will sing it. Yes. Until yeah. then, though, let's not. Until then, yes, we, we will not that, sing that it. And I don't. People. The croissant, which is pretty good, though, but I've uh, during this Lenten season, I've given up fast food breakfast. So uh, if you see me melt away, that might be a good thing. But listeners, welcome back. We are back after the break. We took a little break off to recharge, replenish and refocus. Triple R. So we are back. want to welcome you back to the experience. The new standard as always. You can check out the program on YouTube. Do a search for The New Standard and Lance Williams or Neil Kulong or do a search for The New Standard if you want to find the show via podcast. And as always, we strive to bring you fair and unbalanced Steeler information unless we've had fast food prior, Taco Bell, some Burger King, or any of those delicious treats prior to the show but Neil the one thing I wanted to jump into to start the program is I think the biggest news in in terms of the Steelers is we've had a little bit of coaching turnover Um, in the last couple of weeks we've had the the retirement of Mitch coach Mitchell Um, we've had the hiring of coach Curry and we've had uh, Jerry O uh, is no longer a coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is there something else I'm missing? I think there was one other coach that's uh, no longer on the staff. Am I correct about that? I don't know. I think you got them all. I mean, we, we, we've talked about Brian Flores prior to this. Yes, so that's right, and Brian Flores. Add, add Flores to that group. It's certainly um, a, a changing of the guard kind of of change of turnover because when you talk about john mitchell john mitchell has been an institution within pittsburgh you're talking like this guy saw multiple years with cower that's how far back he went um and he coached several outstanding 
uh, NFL defensive lineman in his time. And I, I have heard this from, from multiple people, and I've had the, the fortunate pleasure of uh, seeing the man work uh, up front and uh, hearing direct commendations from a lot of his players. He's widely known as, in his day, because he would, it wasn't exactly the full-time defensive line coach. Carl Dunbar has done that the last couple of years for the Steelers, but Mitchell still continued in, in something of a capacity. But it, many of the people I talked to consider him one of the finest, if not the finest position coach uh, in all the NFL uh, over his tenure. That man sat down this morning and lost more knowledge about defensive line play than you and I will ever know, Lance. And it, it's... It's it's great to see a man end his career um, with the kind of accolades that he had. Uh, I, I don't want to say that it's a horrible loss. Um, it, you're going to miss something when a man like that is not around. But Carl Dunbar has done a great job in his time uh, with the Steelers as well, working with Mitchell and with the obvious talent that they have uh, there. It's just it, it's such a key position moving forward. Um, it kind of makes you wonder if they're not looking to go kind of a different direction uh, with the guys that they have. But the, the bottom line is John Mitchell, um, his career was not going to be ended by Mike Tomlin, by Omar Khan, by Art Rooney. He was going to end it when he wanted to end his career. And he absolutely earned that. If there was a Hall of Fame for uh, position coaches, he would absolutely be in it. So um, for whatever it's worth, uh, the, the New Standard podcast wishes him the very best in his retirement, and I hope that uh, his legacy can continue. And if I'm and if I'm mistaken, didn't he integrate the University of Alabama? He was the first black player for the University of Alabama football team. Just think about that. I mean, yeah. that, that's a 22 year old kid right now. The Steelers will probably draft a defensive lineman in this draft, maybe one from Alabama. Uh, they did that with, uh, who was it, a couple of years ago? Isaiah Bugs, wasn't he from Alabama? Yeah. <clears throat> Think of it, let, let's use him as an example. Isaiah Bugs played for an Alabama team that was, I, I think we could fairly say, integrated <laughs> for that. And, and, and then played for John Mitchell, the first guy who, the first black guy who ever played for Alabama. That That's just unreal to me. Yeah, that's full circle. Really wasn't that long ago in, in the, the grand scope of things. It's just, it's amazing. Uh, it, that, that's just walking and living history. I mean, just imagine yeah. Yeah. what that guy would be able to tell you. Imagine the kind of stories that he would be able to tell you. Just a, a phenomenal um, leader, teacher, and the Steelers certainly were much better uh, in his time. We were talking about, you go back to, to Joel Steed, Nolan Harrison, yeah. um, then into Casey Hampton, um, Brenson Buckner back in those days. Yeah, Joel um, Then Aaron Smith. He wasn't around Brett for Joey Gamach. He wasn't around. Was he around for Joey Gamach? For who? Nah, that's his cousin. That's Ray. That um Joey Gamach was the guy. I'm speaking. I'm thinking of Ray Seals. Ray Navy Seals. Killed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, he was he around for for Ray I Seals? I probably on the on the border of that. I would say. Okay. Um, but yeah, it just the list of Orpheus Roy was another uh, uh, another low end guy that was built up to be a solid, if not decent. NFL defensive lineman that that's really what you have to look at it's not making Casey Hampton a great player with all due respect to Casey Hampton not suggesting he wasn't coachable in any way but Casey Hampton was phenomenally gifted you know making him who he was 
uh, certainly has skill. But when you're talking about Aaron Smith, a, a Division II defensive lineman taken yeah. in the fourth round, yes. along with Brett Kiesel, a throwaway seventh-round pick, both of those two played in Pro Bowls, um, along with Hampton, who obviously did the, the stuff that he did. Um, it, 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 you, you move that into Cam Hayward, an obvious talent that, that needed some work, uh, took some time to kind of get him going. He's been outstanding. They developed Stefan to it in a very similar way. You're looking at a, a, a young group now with some talent that's there. He has his fingerprints over seven football generations of outstanding defensive linemen. And they're, they're not all yeah. super freaks. You know, they're not yeah. dominant athletes that were going to be great if they wanted to be great. They had to build themselves up. Coaching and development is a yeah. huge part of that. And Mitchell has yeah. been at, at the forefront of that for perhaps the Steelers' most stable position uh, over over his tenure. Two head coaches and, in that and, time. And, and think about this. Over the last, I think, six years, the Steelers lead the National Football League in sacks. I think we're around 315. And you've got a good portion of those sacks uh, from defensive linemen. Let me ask you this. In terms of the impact um, of his retirement, did he also serve – and, and this is me asking, because I know that Bill Cowher used to talk about a lot of times with Dick Hoke, that Dick Hoke mm -hmm. was kind of this, this sounding board, uh, this sanity check, yeah. where a lot of times game plans, offensive game plans and different things that the offense was trying to do kind of got, you know, they would ask Dick, hey, Dick, can we do this? Dick's like, no, we can't block <laughs> it. You need to take this out the plan. You need to do something else. You know, I wonder, did Mitchell have that type of role? Was he kind of this, like, defensive emeritus where you kind of got, you know, you kind of, you rolled the defensive game plan out. You kind of, Coach Mitch, man, what's this look like? You think we can really do this? Did he kind of have his fingerprints on it like that? Is that your understanding? When you're talking about um, the individual position groups, and I, I've had a lot of people tell me this, your your kind of your primary one would be consider it to be like third in charge behind the coordinators would be your offensive line coach and mostly because the offensive line has to know what everybody else is doing including the quarterback so their input had more weight than anybody else's uh, as far as Hoke went he was around for so long he knew everything else and he he was kind of the institutional knowledge. Uh, of that staff and he knew the game backwards and forwards he coached for 50 years and that was after right. he played for however long doesn't he have an award named after him probably in college football like the dick a couple Oak bridges in pittsburgh too i'm sure yeah I, I i forget honestly if, if he does but it wouldn't surprise me he was a, a, a football and baseball player at duke university i believe um or am i thinking of somebody else i think it was dick hoke but anyway as far as mitchell goes the defensive line isn't too dissimilar from that, especially in what was a traditional 3-4 and kind of the modified 3-4 that they're playing in now. You have to know what the outside linebackers are doing. Therefore, you have to know what the inside linebackers are doing. And your secondary is reacting to all of that. So it all kind of starts up front, even if they're not the ones that drive uh, it, most of the action. They just have – they're more aware of what everybody else is doing. Um, one staple, and I, I wish I could go back to this, um, back in the day, in in the old version of the show, Lance, you and I talked about when when uh, Stefan Tuitt was drafted. Yeah, one of the things with Tuitt that stood out 
to a large degree with him was that he could sit and throw, which is kind of a, a, a slang technique uh, three, four defensive ends use. Basically, you squat your butt down, you're throwing your arms out in, in a kind of a, a immediate snap reaction in order to survey what's in front of you. They don't teach that in college. Uh, in, they didn't at that point um, a whole lot. And it's kind of phasing its way out. You don't really play the five technique in a pure way, the way that you used to. But we talked about the, the value um, to it would bring with having that because a lot of times too, it sets up your ability to run tackle and stunts, TE stunts, which is a staple of the Steelers. They've been using that for years on uh, a variety of different ways. Uh, to it was excellent at it. He could get down and then move inside to, to pull a blocker with him while somebody stunts around to the outside, or he could run an inside as well. So Mitchell, he taught that technique um, very well. And it, it was, it's been uh, a, a, an integral part of that stat. You mentioned the amount of sacks the Steelers have had uh, in the time that Mitchell has been running things. It, it, you know, he didn't get the coach mean Joe, you know, it's not like the sacks came from that. They played yeah. a three, four, you know, the, the, yeah. the outside linebackers are picking up the bulk of the, of, of the sacks, but your defensive line contributes to that as much as anything else. It's not like it's, you know, TJ Watt one-on-one with a running back. I mean, they, they have to set guys up. That's kind of how that all worked. And the defensive line started that. So to answer your question, a really roundabout way. Yes. You, you had, um, your defensive line kind of needs to, to be the, the catalyst of everything else. So if you want to say, can we do this? Can we do that? It's because the defensive line is going to start off the play, right. setting up whatever it is that they're talking about. So yes, he would be uh, involved with that. To say nothing of the fact that he's John Bleep and Mitchell and the guy's been around football forever, you probably want to run a few ideas past a guy like that if he's on your staff. Yeah, you better. And we kind of shot around the target he was a Penn State guy. Penn State. And the oh. running back award was the Doak Walker. Yeah, Doak Walker. I, I Doak didn't Walker. Want to call yeah, you I was, out for that, but I was like, I don't think he has an yeah, award. I but you're like, thinking of Doak Walker. Yeah, kind of off. Florida well, State. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's, uh, in fact, it says here that Hope was voted the Penn State MVP in 1960. Wow. <laughs> that was uh, 10 years. <laughs> Before I took breath in in the tenure of our two separate stints of show, Lance, he retired. <laughs> you realize yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. I coached forever. <laughs> yeah, Amazing yeah. Amazing to see, and it's and it's awesome to be able. I'm sure it was awesome for their staff to be able to bounce ideas off a guy like Mitchell, who's seen it, is going to keep it honest with you. Uh, but another question I wanted to ask is, what's your thoughts on? Um, his replacement is Mitch and Mitch might not be um, replaceable, but, you know, and, and in terms of the Steelers, also the big thing that happened is they brought in Aaron Curry. They let go of uh, Jerry. O. was there any particular reason stated? I couldn't find I, anything. I did not hear any particular reason. Um, I think they just gave him the respect that he deserves. Um, I, you know, he, he uh, tragically lost his wife a couple of years ago and he continued okay. to coach with that. I, I don't think, um, you know, I, I don't want to out and out say it. I, I think they just moved on from him. It was time to go find somebody else. Um, and from the, the accolades that Aaron Curry has picked up as a coach, um, we'll make jokes all season about how big of a bust he was. 
uh, as a player, but um, as a coach, he's he's been around uh, for a couple of years. I think just some fresh insight on a position the Steelers have kind of had a tough time with the last couple of years. It, it, it has some value, and I, I don't want to detract at all um, from Jerry O, who's legitimately one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet. Um, I, I hope he was able to either find something on his terms or this was kind of an amicable uh, parting between the two. But I, I do think there is it, – it's fair to suggest maybe uh, they could have used a little bit of uh, breath of fresh air at the linebacker position. They lost uh, Flores, and uh, they're replacing Jerry O. So it looks like they, they've got new voices uh, in that room, and they're going to have new guys to, to go with that. I think that that's probably necessary at this point. Oh. Now, one thing that's interesting, uh, when you look at the Steelers' staff, when you compare it to the numbers of guys on some other staffs, it's a pretty small staff. I mean, when you're looking at the defensive side of the ball, you've got Terrell Austin as the coordinator, and you've only got four other defensive coaches in Grady Brown, Aaron Curry, Carl Dunbar, and Denzel Martin. Is there a particular reason – um, or an advantage for keeping it that small. Uh, it, it's a very small room. Well, I don't think they're done hiring yet. I, um, they, they're not in the knee. They, they, they have not been a team the last several years that needs to have uh, their entire coaching staff um, in place in February. They'll add as needed. Um, and a lot of it too is it depends on availability. Um, we've talked about this a couple times. I'm not 100% sure uh, what Byron Leftwich, um, what he's planning on doing, but I have a tough time thinking nobody's going to give him a job unless he doesn't want one. So I, they're, they're going to continue to add. But yeah, the Steelers don't typically have uh, gigantic coaching staffs. Um, we could go on for days why that is. The, values, the value of it, um, the non-value of it, I, I will say this because we're, we're recording this and I can see the phantom comments coming up on the screen already. It, it's not simply they're cheap. Okay. Hands-on coaches want to be hands-on. If they feel they have um, the, the control and the authority of the room, they don't need 17 different coaches putting different ideas in people's heads. There's something to be said about keeping it small, keeping it controlled, in staying on message. It's very much a Mike Tomlin staple. Um, I do know this, and I, I, I can piece together some of it. I, I know that there are a lot of uncredited personnel around any NFL team. So to suggest flatly that they only have X amount of coaches and that's it is, isn't exactly accurate. There are a lot of other things that, that come into that that are not going to be necessarily credited uh, as coaches they don't put that out for for people to know because they don't want other people to know that they're working for them why would they want that it's a copycat league the ravens are going to come and take their their whatever coach that they are on the cutting edge of so they're not going to go out and advertise it so just because joe Sweatsock doesn't know the the structure of the steelers coaching staff doesn't mean they don't have coaches they're, every team has coaches they put money into that it, it's the second biggest expenditure next to the players uh, within the entire franchise, but you mean Mike we Tubesock. may not necessarily know who they all are. <laughs> you mean Mike Tubesock. Here's an example of that. <laughs> um, and I was surprised to hear it was during the playoffs. Uh, 
they had talked about um, who did he um, and, and as I'm thinking about it, I'm forgetting the name, the defensive savant, uh, the guy from Denver, uh, the cover two, the, the, the cover four shell guy that has all these coaching disciples. About was... I- Ivero? No, no. Oh, oh um, it, you, you have, Fangio. Um, yeah. Fangio. That Fangio was mm-hmm. a consultant for, uh, one of the playoff teams. Yep. Very common. Um, and you know, like, I'm like, wow, like, there's no like there's no announcement that he's on their staff. He's just Yeah, you it, you know, you might hear about one or two of them. I promise you though every playoff team has at least one recently fired coach uh on their consultancy staff, right. which is not going to be their listed coaches. They're hired right. as consultants, they're under contracts, they do certain things. Um it, it happens every year, you know, their coaches coaches don't just go away unless they're uh Cliff Kingsbury. I don't think anybody was hiring him to be a consultant, but you you want Vic Fangio to take a look at your defense to try to help you out. You know Didn't that Cliff that's that's only smart. Guam or something. Uh, he went to, to Thailand, I believe. Yikes! But hey, <laughs> they they brought him back uh, when when he came back. He was having offensive coordinator looks, and he'll he'll continue to get that too. He didn't get hot, right? He didn't get hired anywhere. No, I'm just thinking about what he did in Thailand. But anyway, say that out loud. You know, I'm you know I'm not going to expound on that. The other big thing that's coming up is the combine, and we've got the combine. I think it's starting. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think it's starting on Saturday. Started started today. Oh, it's okay. Why don't I think Saturday? Because I kept reading about the schedule changing. Because you're already and... wishing it was over too. No, okay. You you kind of <laughs> took you, like you kind of took you kind of stole my thunder. Let me just right. ask you from your you perspective. You are a a hard nosed grizzled guy when it comes to football. You're semi traditional, but you, I mean, <laughs> you, you know, you're not. You know you're not like I want to run the ball seventy five times in a cloud of dust. God, the only no. way to run no, the ball no. is to no, you know score all. three points, and you're not that football guy. No, but I, I'm not that old school. There, there's there's an approach that comes with playing the game, and there's a right way to yes. perceive the game. Um, but but you're you're not a from your perspective. What do what what can you really glean from the combine outside of the medical? Outside of a place where all guys can come together, get medical that you trust, because you're bringing in medical guys, you're bringing in you're bringing in guys that you've employed to trust to take the measurements, to do the examinations. You're getting medical. Outside of medical, from from Neil's football perspective, what do teams, in your opinion, get from the combine? It's interesting to me because throughout the calendar year, if there's one question. I am guaranteed to be asked. It's something surrounding the value of the combine. Always. The answer is, it's it's pretty simple. What they get out of it is the opportunity uh, reflexively. Both sides get to meet one another. And if you disagree with that, here's the evidence. There's a bunch of guys that aren't going to run. There's a bunch of guys that aren't going to lift. They're not going to jump. Some aren't going to throw. 
Some show up and don't do anything. Every single one of them meets with every team that they have the opportunity to meet with. Every team tries to grab as many players as, as possible to the point where they've got low-level chumbalones asking guys about their mother's nightly habits, things like that, <laughs> people that clearly don't know how to interview or, or shouldn't be allowed to interview. They try to gather as much information as humanly possible. That's the value of the combine. There's only so much that you can really do um, when you're competing directly against a couple teams in a, a situation that you don't really have the control, like a, a pro day, for example. One of the best uh, stats every year that I see is Mike. Every every pro or every pro day that Mike Tomlin will go to, he will get the key player and he'll he'll get him out to dinner. Always, he wins at that every single time. In a league driven by parity, you kind of want to make things fair. You want to make things even. If Mike Tomlin has the charisma to take them all out to dinner, he will. You know, you can't really have that. You know, have it be open season to the pro day because you have combines. Uh, you have the combine to get guys to um, – you're, you're able to link the player up with the team. They can sit down for 15 minutes and, and talk, get to know each other a little bit. Uh, you know, speed dating for NFL prospects. That's a valuable thing. The other stuff, I'm not saying that it's not important just to keep the answer short. It, it's, it's their ability to connect and to speak uh, person to person to see what each other are like. That, there's a lot of value in that when you're making multi-million dollar decisions. You know what the interesting thing, just in hearing you talk about it, uh, that as I've gotten older, I've started to recognize that chemistry and fit is a very important thing and it's undervalued. And Absolutely. the football stuff, a lot of it in the competitive, a lot of the football stuff you can get from film, right? You can watch guys on film. You can talk to, you can talk to coaches to see how they compete. So on and so forth. You can get a lot of the football answers you know, with film, it, it, it's tangible stuff. But, you know, when you're talking about a collection of 60 plus players and then you mix in, you know, 15, 20 coaches and you mix in injury, adversity, you kind of got to have an idea how this player is wired. Mm -hmm. You know, how this player is exactly going right. to react under very stressful situations and under intense adversity and what this player is going to do in those type of moments. And that's why I think, you know, some of that information that you can glean from the combine, I think from that perspective is good, but it's also interesting to hear so many guys that never meet with teams that get drafted by guys. And that the combine is like an elite player invitational. Um, so like you might be a seventh round guy, you get drafted or a fifth round guy, you never meet with anybody from a team. They look at your measurables, their needs, they take a guess and they take a reach and they figure, well, you're a fifth round draft pick. We may not need to invest this amount of research into you. We don't think you're going to make it anyway. If you make it, great. If you don't, you don't. It's um, a pretty small world, too. Keep that in mind. It, it's They don't need much to it, 
it's probably not the first time they've ever spoken to a player or had any type of connection to a player through anybody else. It, yeah. it, it is yeah. though the first time they're doing it formally. And there's a lot of value to that. Exactly. As you said, it, you, you want to be able to look each other in the eye and, and see if you complete each other's sentences, you know, the, those kinds of things, they want to know who they are as a person because they can see who they are as, as players on film. They're not just discovering players uh, the way fans are during the combine. They know exactly who they all are. Some of them are going to test a little bit better than they thought. Some of them are going to show up in, in, you know, in poor conditioning. And that's a mark against them. Vontez Perfect is the best example of that. First-round talent who went undrafted because he showed up fat and out of shape at the combine. Nobody wanted to draft him after that. So it, it's, it's, it's an audition, you know? Show up, look the part, you do what you're supposed to do. Did you keep yourself in shape? If you didn't, you're not serious. I don't want you. Right. Who's the guy? Um, was it Dante Hall that talked himself out of a first-round draft, being a first-round draft pick, when they asked him what was he going to do when he first got paid, and he said he was going to buy a Lamborghini? I think it was. I'm trying to think. It wasn't Dante Hall. I, I, I can't imagine was, Dante Hall was ever thought to be a first round pick, but it was. That sounds like I'm an urban the, myth. The name but wrong. I'm, it's, I'm it's sure. It's the corner. It's it's the corner. He was a highly. He played for Atlanta. He was a corner. It's, it's I think he's Pac-Man on media Jones now. Said, are, are, uh, not like, not. Uh, uh, you're you're talking about uh, Dante Robinson was a, a corner. I th- did the Falcons take him? No, the the Texans took him. <laughs> Um, I think it was Hall. I D'Angelo think it was Hall. Hall is who you're thinking of. D'Angelo Hall, yes. That's he was still, he was still a first-round pick. Was he still a first-rounder? Because he yeah. said, yeah, I wanted to get a Lamborghini, <laughs> and he went a little bit lower. <laughs> D'Angelo Hall had a fun career. He was a, he was a nut job. Who did he try to fight when he was with Washington at the end of his career? Um, the, the 2011 or 2012 game, in which, for whatever reason, the Redskins tried that that deep fade uh, quarterback pass when Ryan Clark tattooed Robert Griffin. Um, <laughs> at the end of that game, Deont- uh, D'Angelo Hall just went game. nuts. He was trying to fight somebody. Um, I, I remember wish that we had game. I had that game on VCR tape. That, that was fantastic. I am. God, I think, Robert Griffin. Yeah. I yeah, that was. play that for him today on social media. Like, you remember this? Yeah, that was. You didn't uh, hang on to the yeah, ball. I mean, but let me ask you this, right? We always talk about, and sometimes it came up a little bit in this show, that the Steelers typically do things a Steeler way, right? Steelers don't have as many coaches as other people. Steelers kind of do it this way. They don't have the hot, sexy uh, coaches that get hired from other teams. Let me ask you real quick before I get into my second question. Does that say anything to you? Because we always hear this stuff about coaching legacies and coaching trees and you know when you know your tree gets assessed and it gains value i guess in air quotes as your assistants get hired like you know oh his tree is andy reed's got this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy but we don't really hear too much about the tomlin tree if there really is even a tomlin tree does that detract from tomlin's reputation um, that, well, it depends who you're asking. You know, I frankly, the people that know what coaching really is aren't looking at, at trees. You know, that, that's that's irrelevant. The head coach's job is not to get his assistant head coaching jobs. That that's Swing not game. the point. It doesn't mean though that that can't be 
considered um, a, a, a value. You know how to develop coaches, but I, I, I don't want to say it like this because it's not fair, but in some cases it, it's, it's gimmicky. You're doing something that the rest of the league wants. You're going to hire the people that are around it and that do it. This is why you saw two Philadelphia coordinators both get head coaching jobs. They ran a great team. Does that mean that uh, it, as, as good as what we've seen to this point, that Nick Sirianni is the greatest coach in the game? No, I don't, it, it doesn't mean that. It means that they're doing something collectively that has value across the rest of the league, and their success speaks to that. Um, the Steelers, whether this is Mike Tomlin-driven, Art Rooney-driven, they don't seem to hire ambition. Yeah, Their coaching hires don't or tend to be young. Um, Dick LeBeau failed most catastrophically in Cincinnati, and they brought him in to be their defensive coordinator for a very long time. Ked Wisenhunt was the last offensive coordinator they had who sniffed a, a head coaching job. Todd Haley flat-out refused to be a head coach again after his experience under Pioli in Kansas city and Munchak never wanted to coach again, never wanted to be a head coach again. Uh, those are the, probably the highest um, promotable offensive coaches. The Steelers have had at that level um, it, as far as going to the NFL. Uh, Sean Kugler was an offensive line coach who I, I felt, uh, oversaw some of the worst offensive line play the Steelers have ever had. He was the head coach at his alma mater of the University of Texas, El Paso. If you think that's a step up from an offensive line coach in the NFL, you're sorely mistaken. They they don't seem to hire uh, personnel that are looking for other jobs. This is what they want to do. This is what they're good at. They're not head coach material. Is that by design? I, I don't know. I, I To be honest with you, though, I think it makes some sense. Um, you want to hire somebody would, that's going to stay in the job. It's going to promote consistency instead of jumping around four offensive line coaches in four years, like they have right now. till they finally hit on one that, that seems to want to stay is going to be kept and had kind of some success toward the end of the season. That's what they have right now. You know, and, and Pat Meyer, yeah. he's, he's done a good job with that. They haven't had that in a long time. Now imagine what's the difference between he didn't work out and got fired and he got hired by somebody else, probably a better team at the time, but you still have the same problem every single year. So I, I, I don't want to say that they hire specifically tomatoes who are career lifers at their positions, <laughs> but maybe they are, you know, maybe that is the strategy. And I don't, I don't, I, you know, I, I see you both know sides what I of think. It. You know what I'm I'm, I'm going to add to your your thought because when I look at the coaching staff, I think they also bring in some guys that they can groom, some yep. that they can kind of teach their way in terms of how they want it to be coached and how and how it can be done. That you know you don't want someone that's too set in their ways, this grizzled guy that you can't get to change or conform to kind of how the Steelers want to approach it and do it. And I think it's also something to be said when you look at some of the position coaches, some of the younger guys on the staff who are getting some of their first opportunities to do it, 
I mean, you guys got you got those guys kicking down the door, running down the hill. I mean, those guys are you're getting young, enthusiastic guys that you can mold and shape in in, in kind of your way and your fashion. So I think there's some advantage to that. But it's interesting that you don't see the Steelers staff get plucked. And, and to your point, and I agree, getting plucked off of a staff isn't necessarily a sign that you're a good head coach i mean hell matt Nagy got hired off of andy reed's staff and he was terrible in chicago now he's back in kansas city and he's the offensive coordinator i mean nobody brings it just brings you attention and to to suggest being around andy reed is a good thing for a coach is fair (laughs) you know andy reed's a great coach we've known that for a long time um he's he's also an offensive innovator so you could see why an offensive coach working under Andy Reid has something that, that other teams would want. But here's the big thing. You knowing the X's and O's and knowing how to run an offense absolutely does not mean that you can lead a team. And that's really yeah. what you kind of find in, I, I don't want to say the anti-Andy Reid, but Andy Reid seems adept at both. And that, that's truly a unique skill. He can do both of those things. Most people can't, you know, and we, Matt yeah, Nagy was a great example could, of that. You know, he was yeah, a terrible it, 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 personnel yeah. and coach. It doesn't, even, and it doesn't even mean you can run an offense, yeah. right? You could be, you know, you could be like that savant football dude. I forget his name, Eddie something, whatever his last name was in New England. There was the guy that was the, the film breakdown savant for, for Bill Belichick. And he was like Bill Belichick's secret weapon. That old dude? Yeah, that old guy. Um, you know, he, the, the guy from the Giants. You're talking about a Corsi? Was it nah, him? I, I know who you mean. Was, I, it was this spy. Like, like, he has like this CIA Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. It's late. I don't yeah, know like, the guy's name. I can't think of yeah, it. I know what back, you're talking about. You know, yeah, he can't you know, go teach people. You know? He can't <laughs> go teach people. He can, yeah, <laughs> like he, can, he can go to Belichick and say, hey, man, look at this guy's hand placement. On this down and distance, he's he bounced the feet off every of a sing- Russian satellite, and yeah. he figured this sign out. So, yeah, he's that guy. It's exactly. So, so you know, and there's value <laughs> to that. Bringing it full <laughs> circle back to the original point at the top of the show about coaching, impact staffs, this collection of brain trust that is surrounded by teams that are often around teams that you may not know. Now, the title of the program was Do the Steelers Have Joes? And specifically on the offensive side of the ball, because here, here's what came up. And, and, and I, and I want to read, this is a, a player's, uh, I think a player's poll uh, put out by uh, the NFLPA. And players picked who they thought were their best players at certain positions. And, and, and let me name at the quarterback position, uh, pulled up left tackle. Let me pick up the quarterback position. And so at the quarterback position, it was Mahomes was number one. Josh Allen was two. Jalen Hurts was three. Joe Burrow was four. Lamar Jackson was five. Uh, at the wide receiver position, number one was Justin Jefferson. Number two was Devontae Adams. Number three, 
Stephon Diggs. Number four, Tariq Hill. Number five, A.J. Brown. Um, at the running back position, I think I have everything here. Um, the running back position was Josh Jacobs, uh, Nick Chubb, Tony Pollard, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley. Um, at the left guard position, Joel Petonio, Joe Tooney, Quentin Nelson, Landon Dickerson, right guard, Zach Martin, Chris Lindstrom, Brandon Sheriff, Wyatt Teller. I think if it didn't dawn on you, at the center position, Jason Kelsey, Frank Ragnow, Corey Lindsey, Creed Humphrey, Mitch Morse, uh, left tackle Joe Tony, Joe right Tooney. And if it didn't, if you didn't notice, if it didn't dawn on you, I have not named one Steeler <laughs> at any position group on the offensive side of the football. Side. We and we didn't talk about tight ends, but needless to say, uh, the best tight end is Travis. Needless Kelsey. to say, no, <laughs> our tight end is not <laughs> ne- on that list. Ne- Please don't make me argue say, this again. Needless to say, and oh, I do have tight ends here. There's Kelsey, Kittle, Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, hmm. and Evan Ingram. Hmm. So when you ask the question, do the Steelers have Joes, particularly on the offensive side of fall? Do you disagree at all with the fact that no Steeler player found themselves on the list of any of these offensive positions. And could there no. be a Steeler player that you could no. argue that should be on there? No, <laughs> you really can't. <clears throat> I can hear the people now. They're freaking out about Najee Harris, right? Read read the running backs back. It was uh let me let me pull it up. It was Josh Johnson. Jacobs. Jacobs. Josh Jacobs. It was nowhere Jacobs. Close. Harris is nowhere close. Uh, Nick Chubb, Tony Pollard, Christian McCaffrey, and Saquon Barkley. Nowhere Bark. close. Nowhere close. No. It, it, Najee would probably be 10th? The most comparable 12th? as far as the group goes. Just think of with compared to Kittle is laughable. It, not, you know, yeah. it, Pickett compared to Mahomes is laughable. They no, they don't have any. I mean, it, that's this is a team that averaged less than sixteen points a game for half the season. I mean, it's not a you know, it, <coughs> it's not a stretch uh, to suggest that they don't have playmakers. They don't have significant impact guys. Um, let let's not get this twisted and suggest that I think that they're all garbage. That's not what I'm saying. They're not the top level dudes you know they're they're not that kinds of uh they don't have that kind of talent on the offensive side right now um to put it mildly their left tackle does not compare to trent williams um i don't there might not be a bigger gap in all of sports between the best left tackle and the steelers left tackle uh for, for what we're seeing right now dan less dan <laughs> more is less more so, <laughs> less so. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm looking at the list. I I was kind of surprised. I mean, I, I I was sort of surprised, I guess, 
But as I looked at the list, I, I think what surprised me, not so much that there weren't Steeler players in the top five across all these categories, but I think what kind of surprised me, there's probably not Steeler players in the top ten. Yeah, we could have another all of the category one other list. At least yeah, one other like, list. Like you need probably two of these. And, like and you maybe need... maybe Harris, maybe, maybe yes, Harris. you need like top, top fifteen. Maybe. Cause I'm looking I'd at have the wide to look receivers. to find other running backs who would even really you know, I'm looking at the like wide volume alone you might have to get in because there's a tremendous drop off among running backs, right? I mean they, they don't have um enough opportunity to really stand out. Harris though has ample opportunity he just doesn't have like great stats <laughs> at some point you probably put harris in the top 10 because there's nobody left but i i don't I, think there's any other i don't think top 10 in any other position i mean you well, look maybe, at it okay like, maybe tight end i can hear people yelling about fryer with i can maybe see t- maybe like maybe maybe t- maybe seven you know maybe top 10 fryer as a tight end but to your point the gap between Travis Kelsey and yeah, you know, pretty much everybody else. And interesting enough, to your point on PFF for the grades, the grading, and everybody gonna say, "Oh, you quoted PFF," but the gap between Travis Kelsey at number one and the second highest rated tight end, it's like the biggest in all Who their grades. Kittle? Like that. Uh, I'm Kittle not sure if it was Kittle. Year, so I'm not sure. If I'm, it was I'm not sure if it was Kittle, but the gap, the gap yeah. was, the gap was absolutely huge. Yeah, now Kelsey, it looked a little bit Kelsey different. Was on another world this season in terms of DVOA, but Kelsey put himself in the conversation yeah. of is he the best tight end ever after he, these last he just two played seasons. his best season, and he's played several All Pro seasons, so it just yeah, goes to show how good he is. Yeah, he's put on a gold jacket in the yep. last. Oh yeah few years i mean his yeah, gold he's, jacket he's a first ballot is, guy is, for sure it is solidified and in fact a lot of the guys that you mentioned on that list are first ballot guys you know a kittle i think is a yes. first ballot guy as well um not just the tight ends though i mean you look at the the receivers um jefferson's on that path i think adams is on that path hill is has established himself as being that type of guy um God, receivers are just nuts nowadays. Jamar Chase yeah, isn't the, even on that list. You know, let's put it that way. Yes. How far away and, is Deontay Johnson from Jamar Chase? That's the best the yeah, Steelers have. It, it, exactly. And that's in the division. And that's yeah. why, you know, this is tough when you ask the question, you know, do the Steelers have Joes, particularly on the offensive side of the ball? And to your point, they got guys. They just don't have elite guys they have guys where and that's why there was such heavy criticism you know probably around Matt Canada you have guys that have to be schemed and utilized consistently correctly absolutely be put in positions five six yards of pop 14 play drives and field goals that's that's what they are without dudes and, and and with and without dudes that's a great way to put it they're pedestrian when you don't have dudes, a lot of things have to go right for you to win football games. And, you know, that's going to, you know, as we get closer, we come out the combine, I'm sure next week's show, we'll talk more about the combine, some of the performances on the combine 
And, you know, we talked a little bit off air about fan mocks and you know, we might jump into it, but I want, if you're listeners to the show, keep mm-hmm. sending me your mock drafts. We're going to keep putting your mock drafts and projections out as we get a little bit closer to it after the combine and after some of these pro days, we'll throw out some of these projections. But, you know, I'm looking at some of these mocks and I'm seeing like, you know, defense, alignment, linebacker, corner, and I'm saying – they scored 18 points a game. The last time I checked, a D lineman, a corner, and a linebacker, they not scoring points. And, and the last time I checked, you got to put some points on the scoreboard. The Super Bowl was 38 to 35. And so <laughs> I'm like, uh, the team came from 10 down yeah. to win, too. And, Might and be you come to score. From, I don't know. I mean, and, and and you score that many points, you know, you, of course you get to pick six, but you probably, I haven't looked at the game book, but I would guess they probably ran 25 plays less than the Eagles. Probably, and, yeah. and, and get 31 points, explode, and they just dominate the game in the second half. So, you know, this question of do the Steelers have dudes or do they have Joes? I don't think they got no Joes on the offensive side of the ball. I think they got guys with upside. And I think Pickett is the highest ceiling guy on their offense. But a lot of that's going to tie into how well Kenny Pickett plays. And it's great to see Kenny Pickett working with his receivers down the floor. That's the requirement. That's the expectation. So I'm not getting overly excited by seeing him throwing shorts to Deontay Johnson. But it's much better than seeing seeing him not work very true you know more so, than anything it, it's, you know, the, it, it omar khan said this today at the combine um they, they have their quarterback you know that that question's been answered um we've agreed with that i think that that's the right direction to go i hope in a way we can continue betting against kenny because we have you know i have I wasn't against the pick. I was fairly happy about it. I didn't know if he was really a long-term solution, but I know they needed to try something. Um, I liked the way he ended the season. Certainly enough to say, you know, we're, we're going to go with this and we're going to try to build around it because that's what you have to do in the NFL. Um, he seems to do well with people telling him that he's not going ma- to turn into anything. So I, I hope he continues um, with that and – you know, he reaches that potential that he may or may not have. I'm not sure how high the ceiling really is, but I, I hope he continues to tell me that I'm wrong because, you know, it's been it's been fun to this point. The reality is um, he's not going to get better with with the lack of offensive investment that they've made, and this draft needs to account for high-end athletic playmakers. They need to bring those guys in. I know how you're going to answer, but, and we're going to tease this for, for next show. I I was thinking of a topic as you were talking, uh, this, this conflict between protection versus playmakers and, you know, kind of where do you lean? I know your answer, but I I, I want the listeners to hear your answer because I know your answer because you gave me your answer. I think it was based on the draft a couple of years ago. I've, I've given you, this answer every day for the last four years, I want to say. 
Anybody that's even yes, remotely but, familiar with me knows where I stand on this. But specifically, you named two particular players and illustrated the example pretty well. Mm -hmm. We're going to just bring that back and, and rehash that as we start talking about this staff or excuse me, this team, this roster and where they go to from here. And I think in terms of do the Steelers have dudes or Joes, we know they have dudes on the defensive side of the ball. They have they have some shown up dudes in Minka, in TJ Watt, and in Cam Hayward. They have three premier guys at every level of defense on their on the defensive side of football. They have guys there and they have very good complementary guys on that side of the ball. It's gonna be interesting to do what they see, what they do in free agency. But I think in terms of do they have Joes or dudes, offensive side. It's kind of lacking. I think that's where we both see where this roster construction and Omar Khan really has to do a solid job is on that side of the ball. It's going to have to, you know, as opposed to the defensive side of the ball, because right now I think the team is uh, is not balanced in terms of, you know, you know where you're buttering your bread, so to speak. But before we get out of here, Neil, man, you got anything else? I, uh, you know, it, it, I, I am, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this when um, training camp in 2015, a, a quick John Mitchell story that I think some people will uh, remember fondly because of the subject um, toward the end of camp, hot day, for whatever reason, Mitch is, is riding the hell out of former Steelers defensive legend, Dan McCullers in a, a, a drill. They're doing basically one-on-one -on -one blocking drills. Mitchell is all over. <laughs> I mean, just making this kid's day hell. McCullers is a second-year player at this point. <clears throat> He's going up against basically, um, I can't think of his name, Woodbury, Minnesota legend, the center. Uh, the 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 young kid who replaced Green last year. What's oh my god? What's his name? The center. Uh, it's not him anyway. It's not the point. But this guy was like half of this player, a, a, a scrub nobody, camp invite guy, and he's going up against Dan McCullers. And he is McCullers is literally twice this guy's size, <laughs> and it, it, McCullers is not going at the effort that Mitchell wants. And there's a point which he's doing the yelling thing. You know, there, there's a certain volume that coaches hit so everybody can kind of hear it. So you can put the player on blast and you can still kind of teach everybody else who's there. Mitchell went to a different volume. It was much more personal. And it was two inches away from McCullers' face. You had him by the face mask. I'm not going to repeat exactly what he said. But <laughs> it was pretty intense. McCullers went out in the next play. And he walked this kid back. He was the center. He walked him back into the dummy quarterback and then kind of tossed him to the ground. And as the guy got up, McCullers shoved him back to the ground. <laughs> a melee broke out, and Mitchell comes over to break people up, and he grabs McCullers by the face mask, same distance away, and, and basically yells into his face, that's what I'm fucking talking about. <laughs> it, was just, it was the funniest <laughs> thing in the world because it was like this poor undrafted kid just got destroyed <laughs> by this behemoth of a human being. 
And this is all Mitchell wanted him to do. And it's all you ever wanted to see Dan McCullers do. But, oh, man, Mitchell, he was was fun. He was very enjoyable to watch. If you were really into football, the stuff that he would say, um, he was business. I mean, he was he was kind of not Danny Smith like energetic, but he he was he enjoyed what he was doing. You could tell he really enjoyed what he was doing, and he taught very well. And um, this is a great guy all around. You you uh, you know, best of luck, coach. If it matters at all, what I think about anything. Best of luck in retirement. Yeah. I hope uh, I hope you can enjoy it and your legacy will continue through this generation of Steelers players. You know, he, he, he's going to be, he's going to be sorely missed. And I have a feeling that, uh, you know, he'll be sitting on Bill Nunn bench watching practice, drinking a, a, a lemonade or something as he, you know, those guys don't go away, man. He'll be back at camp, just chilling with some shorts on, probably just watching. He'll, you know, that, that's his thing. And, and to get them old school grizzled guys out of that, that's what he does. He does football. His wife or or if he's married now, probably be like, look, look Mitch, man, go go to camp. I know you don't work for the Steelers. Just get out of here. Go to camp. You never know you part some, of this organization. Yeah. Coach sent you some film. Go. You want something to eat? Go watch some film. Leave me alone, please. I'm trying to watch my stories, my soap operas. Can you please go break down some film and leave me alone? But with that, we're going to leave you alone and get off our soapbox and go ahead and end this program. And as always, please, listeners, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. Go Steelers.